On last week, we are continuing in our understanding of the order of Melchizedek, as this is a prime example for the year's theme of preparing for the royal priesthood, where the order of priests under the order of Melchizedek, that priestly order, um, is not just a person, but it had become a, an order of priests that had a high priest, and the high priest operated in the function of priest, prophet, and king. And several weeks ago, we went through the 10 Melchizedekian priests throughout scriptures, with the first being Adam and the last being Christ. And we went through all of those uh, priests. Uh, then we recognized that Hebrews began to give a teaching on this Melchizedekian order. As Paul, it is said, began to write letters that would um, motivate, inspire, challenge, correct, and reprove the priests of his day that they will lay aside their Levitical priesthood and become a part of the order of Melchizedek, the same order that Christ walked in himself and fulfilled the prophecy even when he was baptized by John the Baptist. And so Paul begins to talk to the priests of his day to say, listen, the old is fading and it's about gone. And you guys, even though you crucified Jesus, he still wants you to become a part and to accept him since he has been raised from the dead and has ascended to heaven under the testimony of hundreds of people throughout 40 days, uh, this is your opportunity to come to Christ and to see him as the Messiah, the one that you were looking for. We know you couldn't see it then, but maybe now you can see. And Paul begins to teach uh, and to reprove and to correct these priests, these lovers of God, these believers in the Father, because there was something they could not see. And Paul is trying to get them to see with all of the history of their relationship with God. And so he's trying to convince them. And 15 years later, that temple is destroyed and has not been built since. So it was true when Paul was saying, your, your, your way is being done away with. This thing is coming to an end. You need, and now you, got, now you got no sheep to sacrifice, no temple to go to. So, so all the things that you thought were so important that you had to keep the law, now you have nowhere to place those things. The things that you were thought were so important that you exalted your knowledge against Christ himself, now you have nowhere to do those things. It doesn't even exist. The, thought that you thought, the thing that you thought was the bedrock of your faith ended up being the only cornerstone. Come on, somebody. And now that you have rejected that cornerstone, hello, somebody, you have nowhere to go. And Paul was trying to explain, please, come, come over here. What greater reward the kingdom would have had if more priests understood it before the temple was destroyed? What greater work the kingdom would have saw in those short 15 years for every priest that decided, you know what, that was the Messiah. That hardened not their heart, but listened to the ministry and the work of what Paul was laying before them through Old Testament scripture. The kingdom would have saw even a greater revival. And people within their families and their sphere of influence would have saw change. We were watching a movie the other day, and, and, and the theme was pretty much about time travel. And we recognized that the plot of the movie pretty much said that while you may not be able to change the end time, the events and how they end, you may be able to change how you go into it. Yeah. Hello, somebody. Yeah. But we as Christian believers, 
in the modern church age have been raised to think it is our Christian responsibility to declare something different than what we see pouring out into the earth. Hello, we think it's our opportunity to declare that the war stops in Ukraine. No, that is not our job unless the Father says that the war stops in Ukraine. If not, you better buy your gas cheap, stop driving so fast, take that stuff out your truck, and you start carpooling. But now we only know the power of God to do one thing. And that's to change times. But that's the same thing the Antichrist said. And it's not what the power is for. And that's what we're going to look at today. That we only know how to use the spirit of God to change things. And not use the spirit of God to endure. Hello, somebody. To make it to the promise. Uh, last week we looked at a powerful verse that indicated that you have need of endurance. In Hebrews chapter uh, 10 and 11, chapter 10 and 11, you have need of endurance. So that after that, you may inherit the promise. After, this, after you have done the will of God, you may inherit the promise. It's a point that we brought up on Wednesday night is that people didn't recognize that doing the will of God is basic. You don't need patience to endure for that. You need patience to endure for the fact that after you've done the will of God, then you need patience. Y'all don't want to play fair today. You don't have to. You don't need all that faith and endurance to do the will of God. You need it after you have done the will of God. Oh, y'all don't want to. Y'all don't want to play fair today. It's after you did right and you still ain't got no promise. Oh, y'all don't want to. I'm already at my conclusion. I can realistically tell us to go home after you did what you were supposed to do and you still don't see no change. That's when you needed your endurance, dear saint. That's when you needed your patience, dear saint. Is after you've done the after you've done the will of God. And you ain't seen no change. I did the fast. I don't see no change. I took the communion. I don't see no change. I paid my tithes. I don't see no change. I went to church. I don't see no change. I said the prayer. I don't see no change. I was at the altar. I don't see no change. I cried all night long. I don't see no change. I went to the mother's board. I don't see no change. I met with the pastor. I don't see no change. I took therapy. I don't see no change. I burned stages. I don't see no change. He said, now, and now you, now this is where you need endurance. Hello, somebody. And we know it as a, as a song and a hymn, but we have not developed the muscle to actually do it. It is my prayer that the message today will help give you the muscle to do it with your weak, flabby spiritual selves. Hello, somebody. You, get, you done got weak and flabby. How do I know? Because when you do right and you don't see no change, you start questioning if you should have done it in the first place. So that's some weak flabbiness right there. That's your, that's your flabby. So how do you correct no muscle? You put work on that no muscle. Y'all don't want to be fair today. You don't correct no muscle by just thinking about it. You don't correct no muscle by just saying, you can do it. 
You don't correct no muscle by saying, I intended to. Hello, somebody. Oh, no. You only build muscle by putting weight on that muscle. You tell that muscle, I want you to lift this until it hurts. I want you to move this until it hurts. I want you to keep trying until you feel like you're about to give up. Hello, you got to put a demand on that muscle in order for that muscle to be there when you need it. Children running around here obese. Saints running around here obese. Then we got the nerve and audacity to be weak and flim-flam in the spirit. Hello? That don't even make no sense. Now, I know I'm not, you know, you know I, I like healthy people. You know, I like to promote health in my church. Yes, I do. And since you're on the fast, I feel like we can talk freely because you won't get your feelings hurt because you, you were doing something about it secondarily. You know, that wasn't the purpose of the fast. The purpose of the fast was spiritual. But we could have a, a realistic understanding and knowing that our food addictions and our laziness contribute to poor health. Hello, somebody. I mean, I was telling them the other day, I'm losing weight not because I ain't eating. It's because I am a foodie. And if I don't love it, I don't eat it. So if it's so much food I don't love, I didn't realize my affinity for fattening foods. <laughs> and I'm a relatively healthy eater in comparison, okay, to most, okay? Most, not all, most, okay? I'm a pretty healthy eater, but I didn't even know how much I still got to have myself a good piece of fried chicken every once in a while. I still got to have myself a good French fry, fried and salted with ketchup, you know, and maybe a little nice queso poured over the top. You know? <laughs> and I just keep going to the refrigerator, opening it, hoping to expect something different <clears throat> than beans and roughage. And then I eat something like, looks so good. And I put it in my mouth and I'm like, oh, it's so subpar. Everything is subpar. There's no luxuriousness in any of this food. Hello, somebody. I know some of y'all thought it's pretty good. It's never pretty good for me. It's always, but it could be so much better. And so I end up losing weight that I didn't want to lose because I don't eat if I don't like it. I'm like, hmm, that stopped me from my stomach from growling. That's all I want. I want to do with that. that I don't want It ain't even worth whatever little bit of calories it's going to give me. <laughs> I eat it because I'm about to faint. <laughs> this is wonderful. And as soon as I get past the fainting stop point, is it just me? Or does the food get nasty all of a sudden? It's, it's like, you'd be like, this is good for the first three bites. And he'd be like, is it good? Is it? Is it good? You know, it's got that weird app. You start calling out all the stuff that's wrong with it. It is at this point that I recognize how much of my soulish countenance was affected by food. Hello, somebody. How much of my moods and how much of my endurance? My Jean and Sister Jewel and I, we work out on the still on the fast. We did before the fast. I do not recommend it if you were not working out before the fast that you decide to work out during the fast. That's a terrible idea, all right? But I do think it is possible that you can maintain what you've done 
right? While on the fast, what you've been doing, okay? While on the fast. People, I'm about to use this fast, I'm about to fast, and then I'm going to work out. No, that's, no, that's, that's not what you do. Stop. Because now you're making it about something else, right? But every week, she went form, we get to Pure Bar, they get done. Past that, Mama Jean was, looked so terrible after Pure Bar last week. She was like, oh, I feel horrible, Pastor. I didn't do well. I said, you did great. I didn't do well. I'm like, I tried to tell you. You're going to be weaker. You're going to have less strength, less ability. And at this point, we're not going to Pure Bar for a good workout. We're going for the mental exercise of knowing that even when I have less, I can still endure. I got less, but I, I can endure. I can push myself. You need that built in your mind. A place and a testament and a, and a memorial when you did not have enough strength, yet you maintained. You have to see that in your own life. So that when it approaches again and it looks like that you have to do something hard with very little, you'll tell yourself, but I'm built to do hard things. You'll tell yourself, I'm built to do hard things. Um, you won't be like, why is this so hard? How does anybody do it? I don't know how they could make it. You'll say, no, I'm built to do hard things. Hello, somebody. Hello? If you don't believe it for yourself, who will? And the Lord is trying to encourage you to give you a little bit of uh, 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 confidence that you were built for this. So that you won't throw that confidence away. As we looked at in the last chapter of Hebrews, you have need of this confidence. So he tries to create scenarios that will maintain and increase your confidence. Let's get into it some more, all right? Amen. So that was last week. And last week we looked at the idea of faith establishing righteousness. And we, we left off in Hebrews chapter 11. Where we looked at now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Uh, and then we, we use that as a, as, a, as, a, as a verse to further understand faith and what faith is and how faith works. First, uh, the, the chapter starts off with faith working um, as something that God uses to frame the ages, to frame time. And, and, and this framing would indicate that there uh, goes with the parable that Jesus offered, that there was a, a sower who had a vineyard who sowed seed, and while he was, the servants were sleeping, some, the, his enemy came and sold tares. And there's, an, there's, there's the, the, the simile of how God has trying to frame the edges apart and separate from the, the ages, apart and separate from the ages and the times that Satan is trying to sow in. Satan could call it the Bronze Age, and Satan could call it the Technology Age, and Satan can call it the Information Age. Hello, somebody. And Satan can call it the Biotech Age, but God will call it the Age of the Church. God will call it the Age of the Saints. And that age in that word is what framed the world. And we're going to find that nothing that was apart from that frame will remain. And so this framing that God has done where he spoke things that we see into existence by things that were not seen. His words, you did not know what was on the will of the Father. And, and he used what you could not see in order to frame and to create what you do see. And so he speaks it and says, this will come. 
and you have no way of knowing what that is, lest he says it. So his words then frame and add the edges, like we talked about, of a puzzle. And you start doing the edges first in order to frame what you will see, which will be that puzzle. And so God's words begin to frame the edges and shows the believer what they're looking for now. I'm looking for pieces that go here. No, all those pieces are red. So that blue piece could not go here because this is where the red pieces are. How do you know the red pieces are there? Because the frame has said so. Hello, somebody. And most puzzlers know that when you start to do a puzzle, as we talked about last week, first you start with the edges. All the pieces that have flats on one side. Those pieces are unique. They are separate. They are peculiar. Hello, somebody. Because they have a very firm foundation on one side. And those edges that have that firm foundation are then used to guide and anchor those edges that do not. I'm preaching, baby, y'all acting today. Your edges is all wibbly-wobbly around the side. You, you could be trying to fit in anywhere. Hello, somebody. But no, these say, well, I only got one place I'm supposed to be. To the left and to the right of this piece. Hello, somebody. That is the only place I'm supposed to be. Those individuals would be the patriarchs, the leaders of your faith. When people say, I want to be a minister, I say, why? You look real flim-flam to me. It doesn't look like you have any stability in where you're supposed to be, when you're supposed to be, and how you're supposed to be there. As soon as something presses against you, you start questioning whether you're supposed to fit there. Hello, somebody. But when you're designed to be an anchor piece, hello, somebody, a firm foundation, you know, even, go ahead and press me. This is where I'm supposed to be. Go ahead, go ahead, press me. Go ahead and press me. Click, click, told you. This is exactly where I'm supposed to be. Pastor, I think, no, no, you got weird edges. We only dealing with flat, firm edges, especially when you're starting a new church. I don't think y'all want to hear me. Hello, somebody. The first set of ministers that I will entrust my flock to have to have a firm foundation. Hello, somebody. Huh? I ain't giving my precious babies for you to handle them and you just as flim-flam, you over here doing the same dirt they doing. You might as well get that thought out your head. Hello, somebody. You want to lead my departments. Hello, somebody. You want to run stuff. Hello? You, you want to you wanna run stuff? You want to lead stuff? Hello? Ask me how much of my personal life has to come to the back burner for the cause of Christ in this church. Just ask me. Just ask me. Huh? All of it? All of it? All of it? If that seems too much, then stop asking to lead. Quit looking for that. It's awkward. It's awkward. You know you stubborn. You know that you got this whole other thing that you don't want to turn over to Father in that way. You know that you don't really think it takes all of that the way past the say. You, hello, somebody. I have had people, I will say directly, do this. 
and they will still do whatever they want. And then they be like, yes, choose me, God. Use me, God. Use me, oh, Lord. Use me. Raise me up. And I be like, put your hand down. You don't even feel no awkwardness in what you're doing? I feel awkward for you. Hello? Now, if he elects you, if he calls you, that's different. But most of these positions, I let you request to be used in. Do I have any volunteers to be the lead of this? Blah, 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 blah. Because you have the responsibility then of making your calling and election what? Not me. What well, does it feel like when you say something that I'm not supposed to do, then it affects my personal life, that it's just so weighty? As it should be. Because you don't get no weak muscle built without putting no weight. Y'all don't want to play fair today. Y'all don't want to play. If I told you everything was going to be all right, you could do whatever you want, however you wanted to do it, and I said nothing. If I said you could go and leave church early, don't have to come to church, watch it on TV. If I said you could date whoever you wanted to date, talk to whoever you wanted to talk, however you wanted to do it, then I'm not putting no extra weight on the muscle. You said that you wanted God to declare and to build in your life. I can't make it easy when you need hard. I can't make it easy when you need hard. And these poor shepherds out here that make it easy, that you fantasize about how they wouldn't do that at Joel Osteen Church. Joel Osteen wouldn't even know you. You wouldn't even be known. You don't even have the type of walk with Christ that would lead you to be known by that great man. Hello? So then when he take a humble pastor who don't mind having a humble flock. Hello, somebody. An itty-bitty pastor that don't mind having an itty-bitty flock. Hello, that you might, with your big dream itself, might know the pastor, might be at a house, might talk to her on a Saturday, might go eat lunch, that you, with your big dream itself, might know somebody mighty in the kingdom, and then you got the audacity to be mad when she put weight on the muscle that you said you wanted when you joined the church from day one. It ain't going to have no change if nobody puts a demand on that muscle. Get it to the weak shaking point where you just feel overwhelmed on the inside. Like, should I shut down? Should I stop listening? Should I? Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> Many of saints got to that push point last week. I saw them after service. They was like, What happened? Legs shaking. I'm just shaky on the inside. I thought it was good, but then I came here. I feel worse. How do I go to church and feel worse? Easy. Somebody put a demand. Somebody added more weight. Somebody made it more challenging. Somebody put another 20 pounds on that. And he said, now come on, baby. Lift this. I know you're mad. Lift it. I know you're hurt. Lift it. I know you're angry. Lift it. I know you're afraid. Lift it. 
can't be an effective pastor if you're trying to be liked. Because at any given point, somebody don't like you. <laughs> but if you love them, you'll do it anyway. Hello? So that brings us to Hebrews 11.4. Faith causes us. Today, last week we looked at how faith establishes righteousness. We begin with the concept of puzzling. People, those, those of us who like to do puzzles. All right. And we build the edges of a puzzle. Hello? You separate and sort the puzzle and you build the edges. We talked about the frame and how the frame is declared by God. And we find ourselves as part of the image within that frame or a part of the anchoring that is the frame itself, where one side is pressed firmly in Christ and the other extends for others to anchor themselves on too. Hello, somebody. Today I want to look at the second stage of puzzling, which is the sorting. It's the sorting. Well, that was actually last week, the framing and the sorting. Because I think all puzzlers, we pull out the edges. Mm -hmm. And if you're like me, as I look for edges, I start sorting by color. I start establishing where these pieces may go because they have similar colors. Now the problem with sorting is that most people give up in the sorting because they feel like, how would I know if that's where it's supposed to be in the stack with the blue and white versus the stack with the white and blue? And so they get frustrated and they throw out all of their sorting capabilities. They're just like, forget it. This could very well be wrong, right? But any real puzzler knows that it's more of those that you're going to get right in the correct pile than the ones you get wrong in the incorrect pile. And the whole gamut, the whole game flows better when it's sorted. Like rather than looking through a thousand pieces, you could be looking through maybe 400. H hello? Yeah. Hello? Yeah. And all the pieces that have these colors in common. So every true puzzler knows nobody likes to sort, but sorting is what makes the rest of it more enjoyable. Because I'm only looking in a specific area, the place where I put all of these pieces with these colors over here. Hello, somebody. So when my frame calls for purple, I have a nation of purple. And I just need to look in that space because that's what is called for on this particular part of the world or the age or the frame. Hello, somebody. Uh-huh. Are, are you with me? Mm-hmm. So last week, we looked at how faith establishes our righteousness. That's the edging. And that's the sorting. Sheep over here, goats over there. Righteousness. A right relationship with God. That's the sorting. And faith causes people to live rightly. It establishes in them a life of righteousness. Now, ultimate righteousness has to be provided by Christ. But as we will see even more so today, there are levels of right standing that you and I have the propensity to acquire in ourselves based off of how he made us. 
we can never be perfectly right, okay? Because even if we never sin from this day forward, that original sin had to be remitted by Christ. We can't remove the sins that we've done. Make sense? Only Christ can remove those sins. Yes? But we do have a call to live rightly. I have to keep reminding modern Christians of that because they feel like since I can't do it perfect, then I shouldn't do it at all. But you are called to do it nonetheless. Hello? And faith says you may actually get this right. Hello? You might actually pass this test. You might actually do this one the correct way. You might actually obey. Faith says that. Hello, somebody, that there's some hope that I could get this next test correct. Faith establishes that. Because it says, even though I messed up here, faith says it does not mean that I I cannot succeed there. So by faith, you establish rightness. That has to be faith because you got enough to say it's a no. But by faith, you go, but this could be a yes. Go ahead, Pastor. Put that extra 20 pounds on there. Let's see if I can do it today. Help, 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 help. <laughs> That's the whole shebang. That's the help, 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 help. I thought I had it. I got it. I got it. This is okay. I don't got it. I don't got it. I don't got it. I don't got it. <laughs> I'll be patty black. You sure you ain't got it? I tried to tell you to just put 10 on there, but no, you wanted to go for the 20. <laughs> Hello? As the, the daughter of a, of a great shepherd, we try to only put as much weight that you could bear. Hello, somebody. As the daughter of a great shepherd, we only put as much weight on as you could bear. Hello, somebody. Well, Pastor... How how, how do you know what the amount of weight is? He said it. And I've been trusting him, and you still here, so apparently we got it under control. Did too much, Pastor. You asked for too much. Just shut up with your talking and lift the weight. See? Was it that bad? Oh, this feels better. Yeah, look at you. You feel a lot excited. Did you accomplish something? Feeling all wonderful and warm and cozy on the inside? But if it was easy, would you have the same feeling? Or did your love and joy for what God allowed you to accomplish happen because of the struggle in it? Y'all don't want to play fair. If I put five pounds on it and you could have handled 20 and you just do it like that, you just. Do you go, woohoo! Woohoo! Yay! You immediately go, man, that wasn't nothing. Come on, Pastor, put some more weight on there. And you don't really love the accomplishment until you could feel how much it required of every inch, of every ounce, of every amount of your willpower, every amount of your steadfastness. I could feel that I need to dig deep, dig deep, and push. Now you say, I got to give God glory for that because... That was amazing. And now you have a joy in serving him that the world didn't give you and the world can't take away. And you want that joy in serving him. 
Hello? You want to feel good in serving God. I can tell because you feel poor when you can't, huh? You want to get it right. You want to do better. Hello, somebody. But don't fight me. I got to put this weight on here. Well, I'm not going to put a lot. I'm going to put a little bit and make you do it consistently. Let's give you 10. You trying to get 20? You can handle five. Let's give you five more, but more repetitions. Everybody knows that you're taking it a little bit to what you can handle in one repetition. Hello? What you can handle in 10 repetitions. Hello? Maybe 15 reps. But what if I take you to what you can only handle in five reps and make you go six? That's called endurance. You have need of You have need of endurance after you've done the will of God. The will was that we're going to put five extra pounds on this. Okay, all right. I'm doing pretty good. Okay, I passed. I had it the first week until I had it that day until you said, until my job, until it went, until it, until, uh, uh, uh. there's somebody in the background. Come on and push it, baby. You can do it. You can do it. Come on, give me one more. Come on, just one more. Come on, do it one more. Do it right one more time. Do it good one more time. One more. All right. All right. Take a break. All right. Take a break. Walk it off. You walk it off with victory. You walk it off like, you know what? They did good. <laughs> My trainer, they, they know, she know what she doing. Know what she be? <laughs> she be getting me to do stuff. Boy, I don't even know. <laughs> wax on, wax off. Faster. Paint defense, maybe. I look up, I'm now doing things that I didn't think I was able to do. Hello, somebody. So today I want to look at faith causes us to wander. To wander and to live in a yes, but not now. Faith causes us to wander and to live in a yes, but not now. I like this uh, next segment of understanding how to walk by faith, how to live as a Melchizedekian priest, when the first and the puzzle analogy was the framing and the sorting, the establishing of righteousness, there's a second stage of puzzling that I don't know if mo most may not even recognize it, okay? But you do enough puzzles, you begin to know what stage you're in. It's the slow search stage. <laughs> when you first start a puzzle, and you sorted all your pieces, and you framed the edges, now you got to start building into that frame, yes? But when you have to start building into that frame, hello, somebody, there are a thousand pieces that you have to pick from. The sorting will help narrow where you look, but everybody knows the first time that you start, it is just, it's a shot in the dark. It's like blue. Okay, 
Five of my stacks got blue in them. Blue with purple, blue with yellow, blue with, blue with red, yellow, and white, blue. All right, let me look again. It's a blue piece, blue with, blue with green, blue with green. Okay, now all these got blue with green. All right, that's, that's 800 pieces, okay. Blue with green and a yellow dot, a yellow, yellow, <sighs> yellow dot, yellow dot. And it's just take the beginning of the stage of a puzzle after that is just tedious. It's just slow and drug out. And most people quit puzzling because of that point. I'm preaching better than you act. There's a stage, hello somebody, in puzzling that people where it feels impossible and not fun. Hello somebody. There's a stage in puzzling where it just feel like this is pointless and who could ever enjoy this torture? I mean, who could find the piece? You're going to sit here an hour looking for this one piece. One piece over and over and over again. And most people quit because it's too hard. You're making me choose too difficultly. You need to, no, nah, no, nah, it should be easier than this. And they get confused because they feel like if other people are doing it, that it should be easier. And so maybe I'm not built to do it that way. Hello? Maybe I'm not built to do it that way. Y'all don't want to play Saturday. Maybe I'm not called to do it that way because other people are doing it and they look like they enjoy it. But when I try to do it, I ain't got no fun. I ain't got no joy. I ain't got no peace. I don't understand. So you become discouraged. Because you're no longer having fun. It's no longer clicking for you the way them edges and foundations did when you first got saved. Oh, when you were first enlightened, when you were first illuminated, it's no longer clicking like it used to be click, 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 because you only had a small reference point to work with. And it just seemed like your naivety was working in your advantage where it was just do this, do that, click, 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 click. But now it could be all possibilities are open for me. I am preaching better than y'all acting today. And so we get discouraged because it ain't nearly as fun no more. Sit on down, sit on down. It ain't nearly as fun no more. Hello, somebody. It ain't nearly as fun. People don't understand that's my job. I'm here to make sure that you know that what you decided. To give you enough pause. Introspection. Now you can do all the pause and introspection. You won't still be wrong. But the mercy was that you had an opportunity to. Hello? That it didn't just happen so fast before you had a chance to think. So even when you thought about it and you decided wrong, you have a file of where you could think that you, you remember what I was thinking at that time. Hello, somebody. Because I really did think. Hello, somebody. And then at the end, we come back and say, well, this is wrong and that was wrong and that was wrong about that thought and that was wrong. About, but at least you knew what they were. Versus the deception that is found when we did not think and then we have to go back and imagine what we could have been thinking. And that becomes deceptive because we like to place our most noble selves in that scenario.
I know because when I say, no, that's not what you said, it, it's not. No, it's not. You sure that's not what I said? No, this is you putting your good self there. <laughs> but it was not your good self that decided <laughs> instantaneously without thought. It was your habitual self. Your reflex self. As we like to say, your baser self. Hello? So when I know you have a propensity to decide things because of your baser self, maybe in people pleasing, maybe in relationships, maybe in money, hello somebody, then I like to put weight on that point right there. You understand? That's where you need your weight. Hello somebody. But you don't do that with other such and such, such and such. Uh-huh, uh-huh, I know. Because they don't need weight right there. But you need weight on this thing right now. Hello somebody. Okay, okay, you see, I'm glad we can have this talk, you know, because y'all don't be knowing what be going on. Y'all just be just, anyway. <laughs> Most people quit in the puzzle stage that is the beginning after the frame. Because the frame is a finite bit of pieces. It is fun. Once you got them all out, you feel a sense of accomplishment. There's only so many places this one piece could go, right? Yeah. But now, you got to fill in all the middle. And you got to look for one piece out of all these pieces that goes in this one spot. That's one out of a thousand piece puzzle. Well, minus the edges, maybe one out of a 50 piece to 100 pieces. So one out of 900 pieces is probably what you got left. One out of 900. Hello, somebody. Yeah. And most people get discouraged in looking for that one piece. So they just say, forget it. I'll just find stuff that go together. And they just start finding stuff that go together. <laughs> but what they forgot was that this was a puzzle. So if you're not good at problem solving, you're not going to be good at puzzling that way. Hello? Most puzzlers know we do it in this methodical way, and you teach people to do it in this method, because even those that are not good problem solvers can do a puzzle this way. The problem with just randomly just finding connections without any anchor and you're not a good problem solver is that you are surely, come on, tell your neighbor, surely going to have some pieces that don't go together. And you're not going to know why. You're not going to know how. You're not going to, this, this, puzzle, this piece is missing some puzzles because there is no piece left that has this and this and this that could fit here. But the problem is you got 17 pieces out of position and you have no way of knowing where to start to figure it out because you were never a good problem solver in the first place. The only good problem solver is Christ. He did not make our brains to compute. He made our brains to socialize. Hello, somebody. You got a problem you can't fix? Hello, somebody. Uh-huh. See, now you want to rely on your problems, get solving capabilities to do this puzzle, but we tried to teach it to you in a way that you did not have to use that. All you had to do was obey. Obey and endure. Obey and endure. Hello, somebody. And most people quit on this slow searching stage. It's not fun, it's tormenting. Jewel, who was never a puzzler, nor did I think she would ever like it because she didn't have the patience and endurance to get to the part that she liked. I knew she would like it because when I would talk to her about it, she said, Pastor, do you get a little sense of accomplishment when you click a piece in the right place? I said, yes. Every time it go click. 
Click, click. He's like, whew. Yes. Found it. <laughs> it went there. You see how small that was? Tiny, small details. Found it. Needle in a haystack. Yes. She said, that sounds like something I would enjoy. Just a thousand bits of happiness. Yes, a thousand bits of happiness, all culminating in one big bit of happiness that I then throw in the trash. I do. I don't even keep them. <laughs> I just do it for the fun, not for the trophy. And so nevertheless, <laughs> nevertheless, she says, it seems like it's something I would enjoy. So I tricked her. I got puzzled. I did. I got puzzles. Every time she would come over in the evening, I would get a puzzle. Pass the wandering stage to the next stage that I can't tell you because that's next week's sermon. All right? To the next stage. And then I would say, hey, you want to put this piece somewhere for me? And it would be one piece with a possibility of only maybe five options. Five options. It's going to go in this area here. All you have to do is find these 10 pieces to go in these 18 spots. You got 10 pieces, 18 spots. 10 pieces, 18 spots. And she would look at that small bit of this big frame. Oh, y'all don't want to play fair today. And she would begin to recognize that out of 10 pieces, and I got, eight, I got 18 spots, I got 10 pieces. Click, click. I got one. Mm hmm You want to try another one? <sighs> I know. <sighs> She's like, Pastor, I'm just trying them all. Is that what you do? You don't seem like you're trying them all. You're doing it. Don't worry about what I'm doing. Sometimes you got to try them all. I'm just trying. No, don't go there. No, that don't go there. No, that don't go. So I'm just doing them. Uh-huh. That's how it's supposed to be. But because it was such a finite amount and such a finite space, she believed that she could handle it. She trusted that I gave her the pieces that went in that place that I wasn't trying to play a game on her. Hello, somebody. She trusted that this was the place because I'm the one with experience and this is the place that they go. So she ain't got no experience. She had to trust that my experience about these pieces is where she needs to be and this is what she should do and she is capable of doing it. So when she say, I can't get them, you can do it. Come on, I know you can. Just remember, look at this, look at that, look at that. And I go work on my space and she look at me and she be like, how you doing this so fast? Don't worry about what I'm doing. You just keep trying it the way you trying it. And she keep trying it. And before you know it, she have all 10 pieces in, uh, eight, 10 pieces in those eight spots she leave for the evening she come back I'm I'm working on another puzzle she wonders why you not inviting me to to puzzle with you pastor I remember last time I did the I did the I did the that section remember the section I did I did that section remember that time uh-huh but that section was afforded to you because I got most of it done you're not gonna like this stage so I'm gonna let you sit out hello somebody until it gets to the stage that you're going to love it. Hello, somebody. And when it started getting to, and then she started loving puzzling, and then I had to take her all the way back to the foundation. Now, find this somewhere on this whole frame. And she didn't even blink. She went into it thinking, okay, I could do that. Didn't even know that she's now enjoying the stage that she never enjoyed from the beginning. I'm shepherded by a great shepherd. So if you ever wonder why, how I know to do what I do, just look to my great shepherd. Hello, somebody. <laughs> and there is evidence that he is a great shepherd. Amen. 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 But it is that slow searching stage, that one in 900 pieces, that wandering, that 
part of our lives where it's a yes, but a not now. The piece you're holding in your hand goes somewhere. It just does not go there now. Why? Because a place has not been made. Y'all don't want to play fair today. A place has not been made for it yet. So you don't just throw it and reject it right now. We're going to wait till it grows and matures. And then we will see whether this place, where this thing fits. Hello, somebody. So now let's look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, where we're picking up in our study of the book of Hebrews. And let's take a closer look at this wandering of the patriarchs that Paul begins to use to in invite those priests to cross over into understanding uh, Christ as the Messiah and to become a part of the royal priesthood. Paul begins to try to break the gospel down using the Old Testament scriptures and what they understood about the law and the testaments of the patriarchs to show them that this was the frame that God has built and that they, the Christians, the apostles, are not outside of what God is doing but are very well inside of what God is doing and that they are called to be inside as well. Make sense? Now, it was true that they were not inside when Christ was walking the earth because a place had not been made for them yet. But now that Christ has come, those high priests, hello somebody, that still wanted to maintain a priesthood, a place in the Melchizedekian order was made open to them through Christ just as a place for the Gentiles was made open to us through Christ. So, yes, we know that you couldn't get in where you fit in over here. You did not see at all how we were and he was the Christ and we were the followers of the one true Messiah. You couldn't see it. But now that we finished the frame, come on in. There's a place for you here. And this is what Paul is inviting them to do. Hello? Amen. And so he calls on them to remember what faith looks like and how faith is a walk that says yes, but not now. So when you had your not now, you won't be discouraged. Hello, somebody. When you thought you were fitting and you realized you weren't fitting, you won't be discouraged. When you built your whole life around being at this particular place, at this particular point, at this particular time, I'm supposed to be a doctor, I'm supposed to be a minister, I'm supposed to have a lot of money, I'm supposed to be married by now, I'm supposed to have my credit score here by now. When you realize you're not where you're supposed to be and you start getting discouraged, he says, do you know how to live by faith? Do you know how to live by faith? Because you may feel like a puzzle piece that has no home. So Hebrews 11.4 begins to open up how faith causes us to wander or live in a yes, but not now. Hebrews 11.4 reads, By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Uh, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead still speaks. It is my goal to walk through each one of these patriarch stories 
to glean yet again more understanding of how we're supposed to live as believers. And today is no different. So we're only going to go but a couple of verses today, and then I'm going to let you go home, and we'll pick it up next week. Do you hear me tell you we will pick this up next week? If you feel tested, reread what we've read. Read ahead. Because I'm telling you where we are going. So if you fall by the wayside, it's because you wanted to. And I am not going to put 10 pounds of weight on you on Wednesday because you should know by now. Amen. You lifted your 10. Continue in your repetitions. Hello, somebody. Amen. Amen. So we will finish some more of this, of chapter 11. We're not going to do all of chapter 11 today. We will finish chapter 11 next week. And the week after that, we'll go into chapter 12. Amen? Amen. All right. Okay. <clears throat> So by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice. You know the story of Cain and Abel. Abel offered a sacrifice of a sheep, of a lamb, and it was received by God. And Cain offered a sacrifice of fruits from the ground, and it was not received. And Cain was so angry, um, and God tried to warn Cain. He came to Cain in Genesis and said, Cain, if you do well, would your good not be accepted? And God says, Cain, I can see that your countenance has fallen. He says, no, you need to be careful because sin lies at your door and it's, its desire is to overtake you. So, so God himself comes to the sons of Adam at a time that sin has entered the world. And he says to Cain very plainly, Cain, you only feel bad because you did bad. This is hard for us to swallow. Because we, and we believe that we only feel bad because of other people. I only feel bad about it because the pastor say. I only feel bad about it because that's how I was raised. I only feel bad about it because, hello, somebody. I only feel bad about it because that's just what society says. Hello? I only feel bad about it, uh-huh, uh-huh. And when society accepts everything about it, when your family accepts everything about it, when everybody says it's cool, why do you still feel bad? When you did what you wanted to do because you was grown, why do you still feel bad? Why do you still feel like something's not right? And so God calls that to Cain's attention. He says, Cain, if you did well, wouldn't it have been accepted? You would feel accepted. I know this is a real thing because I accept people all the time. But in themselves, they do not really feel accepted. They read every action as me doing something different, something different. No, maybe not. Maybe she's just, maybe it's that. Maybe mm -hmm. This is in you. It has nothing to do with me. Something not right on your insides about what you were big, bad enough, old enough, grown enough, rebellious enough, stiff-necked enough to do. And it has nothing to do with me. I love somebody. Mm -hmm. So God tells Cain, I, you, you could, you, you, you just could have done well, offered a good sacrifice. And I love this because God did not curse him at this point. God had not gotten him to the point where a curse was upon his life 
Hello, somebody? He did not give him leprosy with a bad sacrifice. He did not make him blind because he offered a bad sacrifice and then come talk to him. He let him remain right where he is and then came and talked to him. In essence, you have an opportunity to do better. In the midst of feeling bad, with your countenance low, I am opening before you an opportunity to do better. Y'all don't want to play fair today. I know you feel bad that you didn't get it right, Cain. I know you feel bad that you didn't even know that you was going to get it wrong, Cain. I know you feel bad that you did not do it right the first time like your brother, Cain. But I am still offering to you an opportunity to do better. Cain still had opportunity to do the will of God. With the same amount of ickiness that he had from the jump. God didn't add more ickiness. Oh, gave me this bad sacrifice. Ugh. Damnation and curse. Now please me. No, he just came to him and said, that wasn't right. Let's do better. And rather than Cain go, Okay, God, I can see how that wasn't right. I'm ready to do better. He had an opportunity to come back the next year with a good sacrifice to work on preparing a good godly sacrifice. But that's not what Cain decided to do. Oh, no, Cain didn't want to do better in the midst of making it worse. No, he just decided to make it even more worse. What is it about us that when we do wrong, we decide to keep doing more wrong? We just can't stop with one wrong. We might as well just throw the whole baby in bath water out and do all the wrongs that we reasonably can think of. It would have been good for you to shut up at that point. Oh, no, but you got to keep talking, keep texting, keep calling. It would have been fine enough for you just to end the conversation there. Oh, no, but you got to go to their house. You got to go get this. You got to buy that. You got to do this. And you just keep going and going and go. Is my mic going? Hello, does my mic work? Testing, testing, testing. What is wrong with us? God gives us a plain opportunity. That was wrong. Forget everything and go kill your brother. That is, you're making it his fault. Your anger is that someone was able to please God. <laughs> able. <laughs> and you were not. And so rather than learn and practice to do better, you hate on the ones that did. You devise plans to take them down, little quick whips and statements to bring their joy down, little statements you say that make them feel uncomfortable about how well they serve God or how diligent they are. You say little things like, ugh, you'll learn one day. Ugh, it don't take all of that. Ugh, you doing that again, huh? Ugh, bet you gonna go talk to pastor. Ugh, bet you about to go over there with the, with the church. Uh, bet you about to do that. Uh, you, you ain't got no money because uh, you gave it all to the church, huh? Uh, guess you gonna do this. Uh, uh, and, and then you just say things 
to make other people feel bad. Oh, we've all done it. Lift your hands. Uh-huh, ain't nobody clean here. I would never. Shut up. I've seen you. Sonny, lift your hand, because even though I didn't see you, I know you ain't perfect. Lift your hand. This is basic humanity. <laughs> so we say little things because we're mad at the person who was able to offer something, and you could tell by how they walking that they was accepted by God. And you over there with your non-accepted sacrifice, this is something now, this cat, this boy. And the book of Enoch begins to reveal some of the tension between Cain and Abel. And I think the book of, uh, yeah, it was the book of Enoch. Yeah, began to reveal even more about the relationship between Cain and Abel. And they had tension because Cain loved Abel's sheep to eat them. But he did not like the fact that Abel would let his sheep wander onto the the agriculture and the farming that Cain was doing. And so Cain was like, get your sheep out of my fields. And Abel was like, you weren't saying that when you was eating my sheep. <laughs> this is the tension that they had. Hello, somebody. It's, and so now here is Abel offering his work as a sheep. Cain is so upset. Because he's thinking, oh, all this is about everybody offer to God your work. And Cain teals and works the ground. So he offers the best fruit from his work. Well, what he failed to realize is this is not about offering your best work. This is about offering what God asks. Oh, come on, somebody. Anybody could give you what they want to give you, but it takes a special person to give you what you ask for. Especially if you're asking me for something I ain't got. Hello? Why is it easier to be angry when we do wrong than make it right? Why is it easier to blame, critique, scrutinize, or just plain hate on those who do well than go back and do well ourselves? Many arguments continue even after somebody says, I know what I did wasn't right, but... You were wrong here, and you were wrong. It's so much easier to focus on where everything else is not right. Well, I don't know. This ain't right in my life. I did this wrong, so I might as well smoke this crack. I did that wrong, so I might as well take this drink. I did that wrong, so I might as well. And it's easier to focus on all the things. I know, I just took the extreme choices of crack so that you can then fill in the blank with whatever you'd like, okay? <laughs> So you can then focus on doing something better, yes. making it right. You don't. We decide to focus on all the other stuff that's also wrong. And it takes an extreme amount of muscle power to know that one area is wrong and to not be so overwhelmed by that one thing wrong and to still do right in other areas. There is something that requires a mechanism that most of us in this house do not have because we will fixate on the one thing we got wrong and we will take everybody's down with us. Everybody got to be upset. Everybody got to be mad. Everybody got to be uneasy. Pastor, you ain't getting no break until you talk to me about this one thing I got wrong and I'm not going to do nothing else right because I'm just so frustrated with the one thing that I got wrong. Yeah. 
But it would seem, it would seem that pastor is a tyrant. Because after I expressed to her how distraught I was for the one thing I got wrong, she then adds something else that I've done wrong to the list. Can't you see I'm already upset that I did this wrong? Yes. And after you recognize you did that wrong, why did you then also do this wrong? Because I did that wrong. Mm -hmm. See how to you that makes sense? And to a sane Christian, it makes no sense. If you did this wrong, the goal is not to do anything else wrong. You can't change this, apparently. But you still have the propensity to do better here, 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 and all these other places. We know you can't change this one. We know you don't have the muscle to lift that one. But you had the muscle to have been lifting this one. Why don't you still do good? Why don't you continue to do good? Because you were Cain. When you need to be an Abel. And the father comes to you before sin overtakes. To reason with you before you do something wrong. Something that has the type of ramifications that can't be undone. Like killing a man. Words said that you can't take back. Deeds done that send ripples into other people's lives. Actions that make someone who has the authority to decide, to decide. You can even be warned in the middle of it. Like Minister Monifa, in a conversation with Gabrielle and Jewel. They say, hey, I don't know about the pride, but you might want to think about bringing the pride down. You might want to, before you say something, because pastor will decide on you. She'll decide on you, and she has that right given to her by God. And no one but God can overturn it. And he's not inclined to overturn the decisions that he gives his stewards. So I beseech thee, brethren, that you change your tone. Because I'm not even pastor, and I can hear. That ain't going well. Because sin lies at your door, and there are ramifications for actions, and you was grown now. Remember how you told me? You was an adult, which means you are fully aware that certain decisions have long-lasting effects. Children don't understand that. Adults do. So you are fully aware that you can do something, and then that will inspire me to do something. And when those two things are done, it could be that now it is done and it is finished. Hello, somebody. We would rather do anything else than fix the real issue. Because if that needs to be fixed, then we were wrong. And pride won't let us be wrong. I ain't got no issue to fix, you say in your prideful heart. Because if you did, then that would mean, if it needed to be fixed, then that would mean in some way you were wrong. And pride doesn't want to let you be wrong. 
it gets a hold on you. It makes you afraid. What if I'm wrong about this and I'm wrong about everything in my life and I'm wrong about that and I'm wrong about this and how can I ever decide? And in fear of possible problems that ain't even at your doorstep. Hello, somebody. Start infiltrating your mind and I can go, always going to get it wrong and I'm never going to get it right. And I ain't, Who is telling you to think all of this? Can't you recognize the voice of Satan? Have you gotten that far down bad that you don't even hear Satan's voice? Everything you're thinking ain't nothing but fear and fear is of the devil. Where is your faith? Where is your hope? I can't give it to you. You had to have that when God gave it to you himself. I can't believe for you. So pride won't let you be wrong because he's cousins with fear. So they like to tag team on you. Because your pride as a believer only works because you are afraid of what this would mean if you got it wrong. You're afraid that all your theology is wrong. And I say, but you'll be all right. You're afraid that all how you've been living for years is wrong. And I say, but you'll be all right. You're afraid that, that I misheard God back then long ago. And I'll say, you'll be all right. See, fear comes in and makes you so afraid of how you could have got this so drastically wrong. And then pride, his cousins, taps in. He says, but we didn't get it wrong. They're wrong. And Abel is wrong. And that word is wrong. And the pastor is wrong. And the leading is wrong. And the direction is wrong. And the Bible is wrong. And the word is wrong and the interpretation is wrong and the application is wrong and how she said it was wrong and how he did it was wrong so people that have to be delivered from anxiety also have to be delivered from pride to be a humble little sheep led to the slaughter means that you are fearless not you're not afraid but you take courage, even though you are. There's a knife, there's the altar. I have no defense and I will not bite and I go. You take courage that you are up for the slaughter. That's humility. That humility is only brought because you trust God because you have faith in the Father. See how they work together, side by side? But we would rather do anything than fix the real issue. Because if that needs to be fixed, then it means we were wrong. And pride, cousins with fear, won't let us be wrong. Amen? Amen. So Abel is now dead. by the hands of Cain. And yet his sacrifice had to been so good that it made his brother mad. Hello? And the Bible goes on to say, through it, that's Abel's sacrifice, he being dead still speaks. That one lamb, the first lamb of the firstborn after Adam, that was offered and slain, the firstborn of Adam offered the first lamb that was slain, and then he himself was slain by Cain. Oh, wow. 
Hello? This are prerequisites for Jesus being the Lamb of God and the Son of God. Yes? The first and the last Adam. Right? So this, this sacrifice still speaks today, Paul says. He says that first lamb that was done the first year that sacrifices were to be made by Abel, the firstborn after Adam. Hello, somebody. That lamb was slain, and that lamb still speaks today. How? Because Abel is dead. Y'all don't want to play fair today. You can say, oh, whoa, poor Abel. Hello, somebody. Oh, poor Abel, you got killed by your brother. The tragedy. Hello, somebody. Oh, the drama. Oh, the trauma. Oh, it's a trigger every time I eat lamb. No. Look closely at how good Abel's sacrifice was. Y'all don't want to play fair today. Abel's sacrifice was so good that it still speaks today. It was so good that Satan rose up in Cain, overtook Cain, and slew his brother. It had the propensity to set mankind free, and Satan knew it, and Abel knew it, and he offered it nonetheless. And even though Abel is dead, it is his death. When we say, well, what happened to Abel? Cain killed him. Why? Because Abel offered to God a lamb. Abel offered to God a good sacrifice. Ain't nobody feel bad for Abel. That one sacrifice he offered, offered to the Father is still speaking 8,000 years later. Still speaking, still talking. So y'all don't want to play fair today. We're still referencing Christ himself came in. I am the Lamb of God. Oh, my word. When do we? This was before Moses and the law. You don't want to play fair today. This was before Moses wrote the Ten Commandments. There was a lamb that Abel offered. And that lamb was speaking Moses' day. And that lamb was speaking Jesus' day. And that lamb was speaking the millennium. Fret not able that your life was cut short. Look at what you offered to God. Sit on down. Abel being dead still speaks. I got to hurry. We only got 30 more minutes. Let's go. So Abel is dead. And the sacrifice was so good that Cain killed him rather than do the work of a better sacrifice. I told you people be lazy. They be slowful. Rather than doing the work. What would that work have looked like? Well, maybe he needed to have peace with his brother Abel and stop fussing about his, his, his sheep that keep coming over into his fields and maybe they need to come up with a way where the sheep could be provided for hello somebody and Cain could be provided for and, and maybe maybe because you know I don't know if you ever had a butcher before see back in the day my grandmama they used to have their own butcher they went to then go to the butcher his name is Paul you know <laughs> tell Jimmy Jimmy that you need you know take this money and based off of your relationship with that specialist they would give you the good stuff huh People that got relationship got the good stuff, huh? And they're like, don't go over there to the, to, to the Mr. Uh, Mr. Mr. Engel. No, 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 no. Go to Mr. Jackson because, you know, his, his sister went to my high school and his mama was my, you know, blah, 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 blah. And he'd be like, yes, and he go, he, he, oh, oh, you, oh, you, you Lily daughter. Okay, okay, yeah, 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 you know, let me, let me give you something back. And they go to the, 
They go to the back where the stuff that they put for themselves is. So maybe Abel and Cain could have worked on their relationship. So they would have been more brotherly toward one another. And Abel would have set aside something for his brother that is equal to what he would offer to the father himself. Come on, somebody. But that will require work. Oh, that will require you got a year of trying to argue and trying to be humble and trying to fit. Because the next sacrifice ain't till a year later. Hello, somebody. That means you've got one year to do the work. But some people, when they are offered the opportunity to do better, and they see how long and wandering it's going to be because they got to live in the yes, but not now. Y'all don't want to play there today. And they see it's just too much. Who could go like this for that long? I know what I'll do. I'll just remove the ability for anybody can't nobody do good by God God is too hard he's too judgmental he wants too much this is too difficult can't nobody live like that can't nobody go that way and I would much rather quickly get rid of my competition than do the work that is needed to offer a better sacrifice next year so we team up with Satan to believe that the whole system is shot out. Pastor used to help me, but now she don't help me like she used. Baby, I'm the queen of not changing. I'm the most consistent and persistent person you've ever met. What you worried about my change for? You the one that need to change. This is all designed so that you could change. This warning came, came to you before the sin overtook you. Warning after warning, conversation after conversation. Before you did something that can't be undone. And forever you have the name Cain. And everybody goes. And he has the name Abel. And everybody goes. There's a point where it can't be undone. I tell people that are in their lifestyle, there's a point where you accept their name. And there's a point where you're just fighting, <laughs> sorting through a thousand possibilities on how to be free. And it's long and it's tedious. And it's a yes, but not now. And all you have is the hope of offering a better sacrifice when it comes due next year. Not now, not today. Hello, somebody. But when he says offer it, you'll be ready. Or you could kill your brother. Or you could stop coming to church and render us ineffective. Where now the whole body is lacking you doing the sound or the lights, or singing the song, or dressing the praise and worship team, or bringing the communion, or just bringing the jokes, or having the water there. Or now we all are lacking because you decided to kill us rather than be prepared for your better sacrifice. Ooh, that was a reach around. Ooh, it's. Because all I say here is, baby, it's all right. It's okay if you don't like it. 
Just do what you're supposed to do. It's all right. Come on, it's okay. You got feelings that don't really like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, now deal with that. Now smile and still do what you're able to do. Still do what God put in your hand to do. Uh-huh. You may not understand what's happening right now, but can you stay in place? Uh-huh. You may not agree, but can you stay in place? It may not make sense, but can you stay in place? Could you not kill us while you get your issues together? be all right we're a body we self-heal hello but I'm gonna tell you we hurt when you're not here we lack when you're not in place even if you don't do nothing but buy your pastor some french fries get her some chips or like Kayla or diet coke not, not today, of course, but you know, in times past. <laughs> you have no idea that you just being present, your presence encourages. And your lack of presence discourages the work of God. You've never been up here and had to see empty seats. You've never laid down your whole life for the flock only to find they don't want to show up. I am human, and I am capable of becoming discouraged, and you just fighting through whatever you got to fight through to remain? I see it. I understand what you had to do, what you had to go through, what you had to fight for. I not only see it because I know your life, I see it because I've been there. And I say, look, I'd be in my office, I'd be like, sound real empty in there. Ooh. It's not like they're really praising God. Ooh, they really getting, they loving God. I know ain't but five folk in there, but they is really, they is really loving. I'm going to go out there, I'm about to preach. I'm going to go out there, I'm going to preach the house down because them babies came in excited about God and we're going to have a good time today. If it's just us, we're going to have ourselves a good time. It's just going to be us. And we gonna, I come out here, I'll be, I'll be encouraged and motivated. <laughs> be a mom like, mm-hmm. They, they sound ready. They sound like they still love God. It ain't but a handful of us. But ooh, they sound like, ooh, I love God too. We about to have us a good time. <laughs> and these days it seems harder because I have to push back the tempest of grief that wages in my members. And once that God speaks peace to that and gives me an opportunity to be excited and encouraged about the work that he's doing. Amen. Amen. Let's look at verse 5. By faith, Enoch, oh, I got to hurry. I got 10 minutes. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken away, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a reward rewarder of those who diligently seek him. What manner of man is this? This Enoch. What kind of faith do you have to have to escape from dying? I just, I just want to just, let's just look at this. Let's just, let's just look at this closely here. Enoch had the kind of faith that pleased the Lord so much 
at a time when God needed to be pleased, that God took him to himself. What kind of man has so much faith that he could escape? My voice is cracking out of the, the, the hilarious awesomeness of this. He could escape death. We've been dying every day. Saints, good saints die every day. Hello, somebody. This man please God so much. The guy was like, you know about that curse? This is Enoch. Son of Seth, Seth, a son of Adam, after the curse, sin and death in the world. And he escaped death before the Messiah. Ain't nobody ever wonder, how did this man walk? How, what did he do that you escaped death before Christ died? I, I, even that concept alone, Christ died. <laughs> he was perfect. Enoch was not perfect. And Christ, perfect, died. Enoch did not. <laughs> Hello, somebody. Christ died to conquer death. Oh, y'all don't want to play fair today. Hello, somebody. Christ died to conquer death. Enoch pleased God so much that he skipped death. Hello, somebody. But Christ died to conquer death. What does that mean? So that we could live again? No, not necessarily. Christ died so that he could conquer death in that we could have his spirit to please God in such a way that Enoch pleased God. I'm going to conquer death. I will become the sacrifice of all sins so that you can have my spirit and you can then please God the same way Enoch walked by faith and pleased God. By faith, Enoch pleased God. Now, Christ died so that we could, so he could, he saw death and he conquered it. Enoch lived and pleased God by faith so that he, he never saw death. So what did he believe? What, what did Enoch believe? Enoch believed that God was, that he is. And then he believed that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. This meant to me that one of the joys, it would seem like the goal of good Christianity, of good believing in God, is to escape death. That would, I, that, that would seem like I want to have a walk like Enoch's. Hello, somebody where I please God to the point where God is like, don't even, that death thing, don't even worry about that. Just come on up here with me. 
No, we can't imagine. But that's what just happened. They said the inscription, he went to go look for their bones. They couldn't find them. Because they was not there. Same thing with Elijah. Elijah was caught up in a whirlwind. Hello, somebody. And he didn't see death. They went to go look for his bones. They were not there. But at least Enoch told people, I'm about to go. Elisha said to Elisha, look, if you are around when I get taken up, there you go. Right? These two people, fast forward, because Elijah's way, way down the road, all right? But, but fast forward to Elijah, and look at these two individuals who did not taste death before the Christ came. We think Christ came to raise us up. Oh, no, you could be raised up, taken up by faith. Y'all don't want to play fair today. You could be taken up by faith. Hello, faith in what? Faith in God and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Oh, come on. It wasn't Christ's sacrifice that got to get you out of death. No, it could have been your faith. Hello, somebody. Now faith is a substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Ain't nobody ever seen a man not die. Oh, but Enoch, by faith, pleased God to the point. Well, God was like, come on home. So we said, well, what did he believe? He believed that God is. Oh, well, I believe that God is. All right. Do you? Huh? Do you believe that God is when you're tempted? Do you believe that God is when you're discouraged? Do you believe that God is when you're grieving? Do you believe that God is when you're depressed? Do you believe that God is when you're overwhelmed? Do you believe that God is when you're exhausted? Do you believe that God is when you're angry? Do you believe that God is when you're brokenhearted? Do you believe that God is when you're in trauma? Do you believe, do you, do you, do you believe? That God is. And that sovereign statement, that statement of his providence reveals that when things get hard and we can't have it our way and it don't go the way that we want, that we begin to reveal in ourselves how we don't quite believe that God is. We don't believe that this is the way, even though it's hard. We don't believe that this is what he wants, even though it's challenging. We got to believe maybe I got it wrong. Maybe it's not what God wants. Maybe I shouldn't have done it in the first place. Why? Because it's so hard. Because I'm so mad. Because I'm so upset. Because it doesn't seem to work. Because the peace don't really fit. Because every time I try, it don't go over here and it don't go over there. So you never really believe that God is. You ain't got the faith like Enoch. That he saw all of this transpire in your life. And you now feeling like maybe God wasn't the author of my faith. That's deep rooted in you. You can't admit it because you told yourself, I'm not supposed to think like that. But it is apparent in your heart. Your heart and mind are not in agreement. Your heart is clearly saying that you do not believe that God is. Even though your mind believes that he is. You see that that is the appropriate theological belief. But your heart 
is afraid, is rebellious. Because even if it looks like you want this, God, this is what you want from my life? Surely no. Surely no. And that disconnect. Oh, y'all don't want to play fair today. Because these things that are happening in your life are tapping on the idea that God may want something different than what you want. And so you start to think, well, maybe God isn't real on the inside. And maybe God isn't, maybe, uh uh-huh, and now you're doubting everything about God. Because by fear and not faith, by fear you could see how you're not going to get what you want. The solution, as modern Christians try to do, is not in trying to prove to you that God wants that for your life. Y'all don't want, y'all don't want to hear me today. Modern Christianity tries to prove to you that the solution when you feel that you are afraid that God doesn't want something that you want. Hello, somebody. And that questions your whole being. Hello? Modern Christians have begun to preach that faith is now where you're supposed to declare and see that God really does want this for you. And find how you are like Moses and you are like this person and you are like the woman who had the issue of blood and you're like this and you're like that and just like this. And they're trying to prove how God wants that for you so that you won't have any more disconnect. Hello, somebody. But let me tell you what Paul preaches. Paul preaches about people that had to walk and it was a yes, but a not now. And they had to live for a hope that they never received. Let's look. I'm not done. I'm going to rush me to the conclusion. Hmm? Christ died and Enoch did not. Enoch had the faith that pleased God, so God took him. Elijah, years, 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 years down the road, thousands of years down the road, did the same thing. Maybe not thousands, a couple hundred. No, close to a thousand. A couple. Elijah down the road shows up and he gets caught up in a whirlwind. Huh? These two men, these two men, if you look closely, had something in common. You find that both Enoch and Elijah both had faith to please God at a time when there was great apostasy and a turn toward idolatry. And in the midst of all this apostasy, people turning away from God, and in the midst of everybody serving other gods, Enoch and Elijah believed in God. Enoch had faith that God is and that God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Do you know how impossible it is to think that you will escape death? And the type of diligence you have to have to seek God to the point that he will reward you with never experiencing a moment apart from him? Hello? Hello? You want me, Enoch? And Enoch would fight. 
and preach to everybody else that's sinning and all the people that are turning away because you know the flood is coming. Hello, somebody. And all the people that are turning away and all the people that are damned to hell, Enoch would still preach. And the book of Enoch said he'd even, the demons would even try to get Enoch to intercede on their behalf. Please go ask God to forgive us for fooling up with Satan. And he'd be like, uh-uh, I can't ask God that. Y'all crazy? This is not how he rolled. And he'd go up to God humbly. God humbly. The demons that asked for me to read this to you. And I, Lord, I'm just caught in the middle of this. And you know, do you understand the fallen angels would ask me to read this to you? Do you understand what type of faith you got to have to diligently pursue God when the whole world, the whole world, the whole world has turned against you and God? No one agrees with what you're doing. There's no other church preaching that you should not live that way. Nobody else is saying that you need to give God more. You're the only one that really believes it and sees it. And the only other people that listen to you is, the, is people in your own family. And they only believe it because you raised them in it. So now they believe it. And But you know on your insides, it's your us. It's your us. But I'm going to seek God. I want to be with him. Bump it. Bump it. It's me and you, God. Bump that. Bump all of that. Forget all of it. It's me and you. I don't care what nobody think. I don't care what they say. It's me and you. It's me and you. Enoch, you crazy. It's me and you. Enoch, you stupid. You ain't even got to go through all that. It's me and you, God. Enoch, it's just something wrong with how you were raised. It's me and you. You have to diligently pursue God. You want to know what kind of faith you're supposed to have? You believe that God is, that he's sovereign, that even what you don't like is what he's doing. And then you believe that he's a rewarder when you diligently seek him. Not a little bit. You endure it. You endure the opposition that pushes against you from seeking him. From the friends that are talking about you for being a Christian and being lame. And being scaredy, you scared. And doing the most. And you pursue him nonetheless. That's the kind of faith Enoch had. And it pleased God. But both Enoch and Elijah had this kind of faith when the rest of the world was turning against them. You can tell because Elijah had a bunch of Baal's prophets and Jezebel's prophets that he was showing how God reigned. And the children of Israel were following Jezebel and Balaam, and they were offering to Asherah this false god, God's own people. And Elijah believed in the one true living God. Nevertheless, even when his own people turned away. To the point where he had a sacrifice and a showdown with the false gods. Hello? And they God never answered. And Elijah's God, our God did. Improved. And it changed the hearts of the children of Israel. And Enoch preached. And then he put it in Noah to preach. And then Noah preached. And then Noah built an ark. And you know the rest. Hello, somebody. But what they had in common with these men didn't just believe in order to please God. They believed when believing was hard. 
when there was scarcely any more belief in the world. As the day approaches where Christ will return, we're not going to see a revival where people all overturn toward God. No, we're going to see a revival when those who are facing God become more sincere. Ain't about a massive body anymore that thing gets corrupted too easily. It's about a sincere body. A body of integrity that walks in truth in the midst of difficulty. That's the church of the latter day, the end times. Not some mass turning, but those who have been faithful. Seek him even more diligently. Hello, somebody. It was this type of faith. In these two patriarchal examples, there's a correlation in Enoch and Abel of faith with pleasing God. By faith, they both were able, like Abel, to please God. Right? By faith, Abel was offered to offer a sacrifice that was pleasing. Yes? And by faith, Enoch was able to please God and walk with him. So there's a correlation between what faith does and how it allows you to please the Father. Then the scriptures come along and says, and without faith, it is what? Impossible to please him. Yes? And what is this faith that they had? They believe that God is. Period. And that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Not everyone that says they are seeking God are. Some are seeking themselves and the God that fits what they desire becomes their God. That is the story of Elijah. You are seeking what you want. And any God that fits that becomes your God. True faith says that first we believe that God is, is what? God. God is God. Not God is God because I. Not God is God because I. God is God, period. And many a soul say, I know I'm seeking God. But you go to him with your own self-will. And you beat yourself up and you offer things for your own desires. And it takes a passionate word studier and a passionate pastor to challenge you on what to put weight on, on the thing that you think that you said came from God. Hello, somebody. Because you say, I know God told me. Hello, somebody. Oh, but it takes a very passionate person to say, well, let's put some weight on this thing God told you. Because it doesn't really look like God in the way that I know God to be. Well, that's your opinion. Uh-huh. So now we're going to have a battle. Challenge of God. You call on your God that you say will allow you to do that. And I'm going to call on my God that I know will not allow you to go down that path. Challenge. The latter days will look like Elijah's day because he was caught up in a whirlwind. All of us die. We, we see death. 
Say it's gone before it's died. But there's coming a further apostate where people fall away by the masses. And when that happens, what do you think God is trying to do? Well, in the past, he's always caught somebody up. Y'all don't want to play fair today. In the past, see, there is some more rapturing coming up. Hello, somebody. There's some more saints that are not going to taste death. There's some more saints that will not die, but will be changed in a twinkling of an eye. Will be caught up in the air to meet the Father. Why? Because they believed enough to please God. They had faith that pleased God. So they're reelected to experience the promise of being caught up. Doesn't mean that the other saints didn't please God. It means when they were pleasing God, it wasn't time. It's now, but not yet. So you taste death. But when the hearts of men begin to turn away from pleasing God, from believing that he is God. And certain things when he say no, it's no. Well, no, technically you don't have to be that way because the Old Testament, mm -hmm, when he say no, it's no. Why? Because he's God. Hello, somebody. Because everybody calls on the name of the Father like Elijah. They ain't really calling on God. They're calling for what they want. They're crying out for what they want. And the God they serve is the God that gives them what they want. But you don't know if you really serve the God that is until you're able to forego what you are. Y'all don't want to play fair today. It ain't about what I want. Why? Because I believe that God is. Come on, somebody. It ain't about what I want because I believe that God is. It ain't about what I want because I believe that God is. So if I ever, ever get stuck where it seems like I've created a false God, one that'll give me everything I desire, my money, my house, my lifestyle the way I like it, that all of a sudden, my faith, by faith, I will diligently seek him. I will diligently seek him. And when you diligently seek him, he might just run you across the path of a pastor, somebody insane that will look at you with your good intentions and will look at you and say, but this is how God, this is what God wants for me. This is my life for God. I know that I know. I feel it on the inside and say, challenge. And all of a sudden, this idolatrous God that you created that accepted you with all this crap doesn't show up. You don't feel no better. The fact that I oppose you gives you more conflict, more unrest, and I'm not taken down. I will oppose you. Why? Because back in the day, you wanted to diligently seek God. And so my opposition says, are you seeking him or are you seeking this for yourself? Are you seeking him or are you seeking this for yourself? Is it him that you want to know? Or do you want this for yourself? 
And then all of a sudden, I throw water on your logs. And now I'm asking you to serve God, and you go, I can't serve God when you done beat me down like this. I can't be happy when you done made me feel so low. I can't, hello somebody, oh, did your logs get doused with water? Oh, oh, is God not showing up? Are you not able to do right even though you are discouraged? Are you not able to do right even though it didn't go your way? Where is your God? I am preaching better y'all acting today. And then, and then here we go. Another idolatrous God falls. The God you made up in your head that thought what you were doing was a little thing. The real God shows up and says it's a big thing. Hello, somebody. And you can tell because now you, you begin to have a different view of God. And that comes with healing. It comes with wonder and awe and a little bit of fear. I feel the Lord more now. <laughs> he, he, he don't really play around. Nah, he don't, he don't play the radio, baby. Hello, somebody. Ooh. <laughs> Amen, Lolo. <laughs> That's sweet, sweetie. <laughs> so now I crush by challenge like Elijah. How do we know this is, this is evidence that the end time is coming? Because right after this occurrence, Elijah's caught up in the whirlwind. He's raptured up. So when preachers are now preaching that we tear down this God that you made up because he is not sustaining you. Hello, somebody. Your God is not picking you up out of your depression. Hello, somebody. Because you got to keep running back for the same thing. Hello, somebody. Mm -mm, that can't be the God. That can't, that can't, that can't be. That, that, can't, that can't be. You must have got something wrong here. Something you could be hiding. Iniquity in your heart. And God is not hearing you. Is your God sleep? That's what Psalms said that we had our dinner devotion. And David said, my God ain't sleep. He hears me. And Elijah's over here battling with prophets. And he jokes with them and says, I guess your God can't hear you because he's asleep. But their God doesn't respond. You think some fallen angel or demon could manifest anything in the face of God? You, you light that fire, you see what happened. <laughs> this ain't got nothing to do with you. Know your place. Hello? And when the authority of God puts you in place, and you're not used to being put in your place, it makes you uncomfortable. Like you treated me like I was beneath. Did you think you were above? <laughs> no, but you ain't got to treat me like I wasn't. I was treating you normal. And if you recognize the will of God, this would have appeared normal. We could have reasoned together very plainly. Hey, saint, maybe you shouldn't do that. You know what, saint? That seems about right. Maybe I shouldn't. But since you didn't receive it that way, my level did not change. You fell from grace. It wasn't my tone. It got louder as you fell. 
and hopes to catch you. Because you're falling. <laughs> Hello, somebody. You count a disservice if I whispered as you fell. Like somehow I wanted you to fall even more. Hello, hello, amen. <laughs> if I just, oh no, don't do that. <laughs> but I say, hey, 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 don't do that. Hey, hey. Why she got to preach directly to me? I know she's talking to me about my situation. Shouldn't I? Shouldn't I talk to you about your situation? <laughs> I thought that's what you wanted. I can't, I can't. You want to be saved or not? Come on and bless the name of the Lord. Okay, I'm wrapping up. I got to go. <laughs> so not everyone that seeks God are really seeking God. They're seeking themselves. And the God, little G God, that fits what they desire becomes their little G God. By God's grace and mercy, he will have a showdown with that desire. I said, by God's grace and mercy, he will have a showdown with that desire. He will say, you want it that bad? You got to get through me. You got to cross over my dead body. Literally. You want it that bad, you got to leave the church. You want it that bad, you got to walk through my body, which is the gate. The cross over me. I laid down my life for this flock. Why are you making me do this, Pastor? Because <laughs> that's what God did to me. When I wanted to go venture off into sin, I mean, I, I didn't think it was that bad, but golly, Jesus, I mean, that's what he said. You haven't resisted sin to bloodshed. Because every time you think this is so hard for me not to sin, why would God make me struggle with this my whole life? And then you look at his bloody body upon the cross and be like, you know what? Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's not that bad. <laughs> Hello, somebody. And it's like, why would you put that guilt trip on me? Because it's truth. The guilt is a byproduct of where you are. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. Guilt is a result of your location. Because I could have stated the truth and it had no effect or it could have been encouraging. Like when I stated it and you were in a good place, you were blessed by it. But now when I state the same truth, you feel guilt. That is a sign of you in the wrong place, on the wrong side of his body. I'm preaching better than y'all acting. I got to hurry. I'm not going to keep fooling up with y'all. Y'all don't want that good word. I'm going to go on to the next point. Verse 7. We got to get, oh. You gotta get, we got to get to verse 12, man. Ah, I don't know if we could do it. Verse 7. Let's just, let's just, let's just maybe just be supernatural timing. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned to things, warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Now we already established that faith establishes righteousness. And so Noah became the heir. He became the new Melchizedek because everybody else died. 
except for Noah and his family. But the truth is that Noah condemned the whole world because he was saved. In essence, there were warnings that said a flood was coming, and Noah preached it for 121 years while he built the ark. Hello? The fact that Noah came out on the other side of the ark condemned the whole world. Because if nine people could have been saved, you could have been one of them nine. Everybody. Everybody. He, what Noah heard, he told. It's not like Noah heard, he said, he, 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 there's going to be a flood, family. Don't tell everybody. He told everybody. He preached it everywhere. Nobody repented. People were turning away so much that nobody came back to God. Because Noah was preaching something they had never seen. And Noah believed in something he never saw. And he moved and built an ark. Even though he never saw it. He just believed in the warning. When God gives you a warning, similar to Cain, he gives you the warning because he wants you to be saved. He gives you the warning because he wants you to be saved. And he's provided a way for you to be saved. I'm trying to grow my church as believers to stop having to require me to make declarations and dictates. But just, I could be like, hey, I don't really advise that you do that. <laughs> hey, I don't really think that's where God wants you to be right now. And I'm trying to get to them to the point where they go, you know what? I could see how God is not really like that. I could see how he is more like this. And I'm willing to give that a try, Pastor. Thank you so much. Oh, no. That's not how that works. In some cases, some are still so immature on milk that they require a law to be laid. And for it to be called sin if you cross that law. That's not the ideal plan. The plan is that I could warn you. Hey, it looks like you're doing the thing that you did last time that you said you didn't want to do the thing. When you, wanted, when you did the thing, you didn't know you were going to do the thing. Looks like you're doing that same pattern. And I could give you a warning. In that warning is evidence that God wants to save you. And the warning from Wednesday that you were here on Sunday was proof that God wanted to save you. And look how mightily he saved you from Wednesday to Sunday. Look how mightily he rescued you from Wednesday to Sunday. The same person with a wayward heart could hear that warning and say, you trying to tie me up. You trying to put bounds on me. You trying to stop me from living my best life. Am I? Or am I providing an ark that will carry you safely across the wrath of God? A safe place. It don't mean that it still ain't no sin in you. It just means that we're going to let you go through this wrath with that sin. Hello, somebody. 
because we still sinning. And whatever we got that from came from Noah because there were the only ones left. Hello? So what I provided was a way for you to go through the wrath of God. What Christ provided was a way for us to go. Christ is the ark that we now sit in. It don't mean you perfect. It means that we are going to go through his wrath when his wrath comes to judge. We will go through his wrath. But it doesn't mean we, there's no wrath. It doesn't mean we are made perfect in ourselves. Not yet. That day is not here. It is a yes, but a not now. Amen. So God warns. When God warns, he intends to save because he is merciful. Let's go to verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Stop right there. By faith, Abraham obeyed. And he's the one that's got two by faiths. By faith, he obeyed. And by faith, he dwelt. By faith, he obeyed. And by faith, he dwelt. When Paul says you have need of endurance for after you have obeyed the will of God, you can receive the promise. Abraham, the father of our faith, first obeyed by faith. Yes? And he left his hometown to go to a town that God did not tell him where he was going. And he walked out looking for this land. And then when he got to a part of it, God said, this is the land that I promised you, but not now. Then he picked up his tent and he walked some more. He says, this land, this is the land too that I promised you, but not now. Then years went by, he walked some more, got to another part of land. This land too is yours, but not now. And Abraham and Jacob and Isaac all went with him. Look at all this land that God said is ours, but not now. Look at all this territory that God said was going to be ours, but not now. Oh, y'all don't want to play fair today. And they live like this. Hello, somebody. Y'all don't want to be honest today. They live like this by faith. Do you know what it's like to be sitting right where you know God promised you're supposed to conquer and he still tells you not now? Many people can't live like that, but the just shall live by faith. I see what I'm supposed to have, and he still tells me not now. I see how I'm not supposed to struggle with this anymore, and he still tells me not now. I see how my knees ain't supposed to hurt, but he says not now. I see how my back ain't supposed to be in pain, but he says not now. I see how I ain't supposed to be struggling with this sin, but he says not now. You pack up your tent, and you walk by faith. One of the hardest things I have to deal with in counseling is when I have to encourage a believer to walk by faith when it's hard. They say, Pastor, how, could, how can anybody live like this? I said, I don't know. But you take it day by day. But is God going to deliver? What did he promise you? He promised me he'd deliver me. 
then you walk by faith. But it, it's been years and I'm still struggling. Pick up your tent and walk by faith. Pick up your tent and walk by faith. Did he promise you deliverance? Yes. Pick up your tent and walk by faith. Did he promise you wholeness? Yes. Pick up your tent and walk by faith. But I could see how this could happen. I could see how it could. I get flashes of what I'm supposed to be, and I, I got an inclination of how God wants to use me, and, and I could just see it so plainly. And let me just put, let me just take you rid of this tent, and let me build my paddled house right now because this is where it's getting ready to happen. No, it's not. Come on. Let's keep walking by faith. But Pastor, this is so hard. Why can't we have it right now? I don't know. Pick up your tent. Let's keep moving. But everybody else seems to have their best life, and everybody else seems to, and everybody else seems to not have to deal with that anymore. And everybody else seems to have, and everybody. Let's go. And many people fall off because they can't handle the slow wandering and the living in the yes, but not now. It doesn't make sense to them. They grow weary and well-doing. Hello, somebody. The promise has not been given to Abraham yet. And they, knowing this, wasn't the promise while they saw that it would be theirs they could feel I'm not I haven't received my promise but I do see that this is my promise most of you don't know how to do that if I haven't received it then how do I know it's mine by faith but it don't look like I got it. You don't. So how do I know it's mine? By faith. But it don't look like it's working. It's not. But how do I know it will work? By faith. Come on, some. But it don't look like this is where I'm supposed to be. You're not. But how do I know it's supposed to be? That's where I'm supposed to be. By faith. Baby, this is a walk of faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. You want him or you want you? This is where we start, them idols start coming down. Did you want him or did you want the land? Bear in mind, you didn't want the land until he promised it. It wasn't like Abraham was sitting around going, you know what, God, you need to give me something on my own. Hello, somebody. Hello? Then when God promised it, he was like, oh, let go for that. That's what I want. Hello, somebody. And so God used that scenario with his son Isaac. You were contented with your hand servant Eleazar, or no, Ishmael, being your, Eleazar, then Ishmael being your next son. Not, not the son of you and Sarah, your actual wife, but this other concoction you came up with. Hello, somebody. You were perfectly contented. But then when God promised it, then your heart started wanting it. 
And you start started really wanting it. And now I really want it. And okay, so so you're gonna get a, 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 the legacy is gonna come through me. I'm okay. Woo, I can see it. I can see it. Where 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 is Sarah? Where your shirt? Where where the baby at? We done did the do 50 million times. We old as dirt, and she still ain't got no baby. I mean, they had to do the do. Every time they do the do, and after they get done, like any other woman, you're wondering, I wonder if this is the time. Every month, I wonder if this is the time. For 100 years or so of hoping, times 12, 1,200 months of failed hope, of disappointment. A thousand months of disappointment. And you over here crying about your one year. A thousand, 12 months, a thousand puzzle pieces had to be sorted through for the one. Hello? And God uses that to say, Abraham, I promised you a son, but not now. I promised you a land, but not now. And inheritance, but not now. Now, Abraham, will you follow what I want? You're going to do what you want. Okay, you keep doing what you want. Okay, that's not, I don't need your help. You just have to wait. The, the, the key is not, can you figure out how to help me with my plan? I don't need you to figure out how to help me with a plan. What I need you to figure out how to do is, can you wait? Isn't that right, Sister Danielle? I, the, the assignment was not for you to figure out how you could help me. The assignment was that you waited for the next instruction that I gave you. Because when you wait for me, you get to know me. When you act apart from me, you only know yourself, and you are more inclined to serve a false god that fits you. You're led by what you have made up in your mind that God was because you did all the work. Because you didn't want to wait. Because waiting made you feel as if somebody might think you didn't know what to do. And if somebody thinks you don't know what to do, now you are, makes you afraid that you look subpar or insufficient or inadequate. But you first have to believe that God is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Now I could go and come up with my own way to get this done, but Pastor, I don't want you know. I don't want you to think that I don't, I don't have no ideas. But what would you do in this case? That waiting helps you to know somebody. The waiting helps you to know God. Why aren't you doing this right now? This is my problem, my life. This is when I can't handle it no more. I'm sinking. I can't deal with this suffering no more. Why aren't you doing something? That moment right there is where you get to learn about God. And if you walk that to your reward is on the other side. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching better y'all asking today. I'm, I'm preaching. All right. Where was I? Everybody want to preach today. All right. Where was I? Everybody giving sermons from the pew. <laughs> That's good. I'm giving you a lot of sermons you could write. When God warns, he intends to save Abraham by faith, obeyed, but faith by faith, he dwelt in the land of inheritance. It was a yes, but a not a not now. Do you know how disappointing that is? 
Everybody else got houses. People's actually building houses in your promise. They is doing well in what you promised me. And look at me over here. Not doing well. And they doing well in it. Hello, somebody. They doing good in my spot. And I'm over here fumbling on the play in my spot. Ooh, that's tough. Tough, 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 tough. You going to give up? You going to quit? What you going to do? Or you going to walk by faith? I don't know which, which, which one you going to do. You going to quit? You going to give up? Or you going to walk by what? You going to quit? You going to give up? Or what you going to do? Walk by what? Try it again. You going to quit? Y'all don't even say that with no conviction. You going to quit? No! There you go. You going to give up? No. What you going to do? Walk by? You've got to have some conviction in yourself that you're not going to quit. That is not my job. You got to believe in you. Duh. You ain't your own cheerleader. That's crazy. You ain't going to support you. Who will? Am I going to give up? No. No. Faith. No, no. Are you going to give up? No. There you go. Are you going to give up? No. Are you going to quit? No. Are you going to walk by? Faith. That is key to your discouragement. It's key to your doubt, to your insecurities, because that will be an arc for you until your insecurity your doubt, your ignorance, your pride, your anxieties can be worked out. That will be your arc. I'm not quitting, though. I said it the other day. I said, I don't know where this church is going to go. Now that my mom has passed, the pandemic hit us hard. I don't know. I don't know. But I know one thing. It ain't going to fall apart because I quit. going to take me down with this ship or the Lord going to have to speak but it ain't going to be because I gave up it is nobody's responsibility to think like that but mine I can't come to your life and tell you don't quit you be like okay you're supposed to tell yourself don't quit don't give up I know you're upset I know you're angry I know you're hurt I know you're confused. I know you're unsure. Don't quit. Don't give up. Come on, push. Hold it. Come on, push, push, push. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Ah! And then on the other side is your reward. It's on the other side of this. Hallelujah. Let's go to Sarah, verse 12. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, 
were born many as, me, as many as the stars of the sky and the multitude, innumerable as the sand by which is the seashore. Yes, y'all read that right. <laughs> it was a jab, but it was the truth. That she, at, when she was already in menopause, had to receive strength in her physical body and strength in her heart. She had to receive strength to conceive. You don't, you don't, you don't hear. By faith, Sarah had to receive strength to conceive. Remember how he said, I can't wrap my mind around? By faith, Sarah had to receive strength to conceive, to wrap your mind around. Uh, Y'all don't want to have a conceivable thought. I can't conceive how God could do this in my life. I can't conceive how he could turn it around. I can't conceive is different than perceive. To perceive something is to only see it, but to conceive is to see it and it be with you. I don't just see the vision, but I am with this vision. I agree with it. I'm with it. I'm walking beside it. And Sarah had to receive strength in order to receive that. In essence, she had been so disappointed for so many thousands of months that she needed to get strength. And the only way she was going to get strength to even wrap her mind around how God still wanted to use her was she had to get that strength by faith. I just can't imagine. I can't. just can't wrap. Me of all. Do you see what I. How I've lived. How Me. Uh, I mean, I tried that back in the day. Like, I tried it a million times. You don't understand. Me and Abram, we done done the deed. We done did it a million times. I just, I just can't. I just, Pastor, God just comes to just, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have to be what it is. It is what it is because I just can't. By faith, Sarah had to receive strength to conceive. That means she had to believe that God is. And that God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So she could even have the strength to hope. That's what conception represents, hope. To conceive, to wrap your mind around the possibility. I've tried this so many times and failed. I've tried it so many times and it never seemed to be the right timing. I've tried it so many times. Y'all, I'm preaching, buddy. I tried it so many times and it just didn't seem to work. I tried it so many times and I always fell short. I tried it so many times and I just cannot. And now you're telling me to believe again and to try again? I need my faith to receive strength to even hope again. So in this walk, there's going to be things that you wait for the inheritance of what God said for so long that you don't even want to hope about it anymore. That was something they used to say when I was a little kid, but, you know, life happens. And now you're afraid, you're weak, and you're tired. But we walk by faith.
So by faith, receive your strength to hope again. Hello, somebody. To hope again. And then she did conceive. She believed by faith. She got her strength. All right, Adam, I mean, Abraham, let's go to the bedroom. Let's try it again. Let's try it again for good old time's sake. And it says more specifically, because she judged that God was faithful. She said, you know what? God has never lied to me. He has never let me down. Hello, somebody. Even though I've waited for a long time, I believe by faith that you'll give me the strength to believe one more day, to try one more hour, to get by one more minute, to get by one more day, to go through one more week. I, I know it's impossible, but by faith, I believe you strengthen me to do that, and we will try it again. One of these tries, you're going to have a baby. One of these tries, conception will take root in you. But you need strength to continue to hope when you've waited so long for something you longed for. It'd be different if you didn't want it, but you did want it, and you tried with everything when you wanted it, and he still said yes, but not now. Then he comes to you, try it again. And you want to go, stop making me try. Stop dangling this in front of me. I want to have no more hope about that future because I'm tired of not having it. And he says, pick up your tent and let's walk. This is your life. This is the life of the believer. If I don't put this in you, how will you survive? Because the times are growing worse. You're still too self-seeking and not enough God-seeking. Hello, somebody. The desire was there. Sarah always wanted a child. Been there for a while. Never happened. Over time, they're helping God. Over their, their mockings of God over their sinister and pessimistic conversations. You know how you get when you wanted something for so long, when you're not around a Christian folk, you start talking real sinister, real anti-Christian. And you are a believer, but you sound a real not believerish, but you got real discouraged. And all this conversation over time, over time the life that we saw in the life that we are seeing of failures begins to define the life that was spoken by and with he who we cannot see. In essence, Satan is trying to rewrite your picture of your puzzle. And he throws things in your life that he knows you're going to struggle with. Hello, somebody that you're going to desire for and fail because he knows that God doesn't quite want you to have that right now. How does he know that? Because that's the same thing he did with Eve. Knowledge of good and evil, to be more like God. God had that plan for her and Adam. Yes, but not now. 
And Satan tempted them with what was a yes and not now to see if they will try to attain that on their own. And it worked. It worked. And so now, over time, similar to Sarah and similar in your lives, in all of our lives, over time, we will live in the yes but not now for so long that Satan will try to reframe, redeclare the ages of our lives and say, well, this must be who you're called to be because everything you try, you keep going back to this. And every time you try, you keep going back to that. And every time you try, you keep going back to that. So now here's a new frame for your life. This is your lifestyle. This is now who you're really supposed to be. And he tries to move that frame from what God said to what he said. And we are inclined to believe him because it looks like there's so much evidence. But I know a God who created things that are seen by things that are not seen. He creates things that are seen by things that are not seen. So pick up your tent. Let's keep moving. But, but, but maybe, Pastor, maybe this is who God made me. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm supposed to be in the lifestyle. Maybe I'm just supposed to struggle with my weight my whole life. Maybe I'm just supposed to never, never accomplish that. Maybe I'm just supposed to deal with this my whole life. Uh-huh. That ain't nothing but Satan talk, baby. Listen, I know it feels normal, but can I just get your frame to go over here? Can you just see God move from there to over here? Can you just start seeing how he's called you to be righteous? Can you just start seeing how he's called you to be holy? Can you just start seeing how he's called you to be a leader? Can you just start seeing how he's called you to save other souls, to raise up a holy family, to be an upstanding man of God, to be a righteous woman of God? Can you just see it? Pastor, I want to, but I'm so tired. Well, can you believe for strength? To hope again. Hello, somebody. Woo, come on and bless the name of the Lord. Verse 13. These all died in faith. Period. These all died in faith. Come on now. These all died in faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. They kept the faith and never received the inheritance. They wandered in that land. It was a yes but, but a not now, and they died in the yes, but not now, and they didn't even count it robbery. This is when you know it ain't about you, that you've been diligently seeking God, because you can tell me a yes, but, but not now, and I will live in that yes, but not now, until the day I die, and I ain't backing up, and I ain't turning back, and I'm not giving up, and I'm not quitting. I will live in the yes, but not now. Because it's never been about me. I've been seeking you. And those that have been seeking self can't live in the yes, but not now. Because not now doesn't suit them. They think he's cruel. Why do you put it in my face and then tell me no? Why does it matter so much? Because this is my only life. Is it? Because this is my life. Is it? See, this is where we start 
unraveling. Hello, somebody. Oh, I'm preaching, Betty, y'all acting today. Hello? Hello, hello, hello. Uh-huh. He says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, confessed them, and that they were strangers, pilgrims on this earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And if, truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. You are seeking him. You are seeking you. You wanted to be a minister for what it did for you. You wanted to be free from, from that for what it did for you, not for what it did for God. You wanted this job for you, not for God. Hello, somebody. All these things. Because if waiting in the yes but not now is a test you can't seem to pass, then your true God has revealed himself. It's you. You're your own God. But when you know it's him and he's a rewarder, I could be struggling. God, do you think I could lift this? Yes. When? Not now. God, do you think I could lift this? Yes. When? Not now. God, do you think I could lift this? Yes. When? Not now. 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 And they died in the not now. But they never gave up. They never quit. They just, hands up. What happened? Well, they, they held that weight for about 30 years, and then they died. <laughs> they didn't give up. No, they didn't give up. Surprisingly so, they held the weight up for so long that even when they died, it stayed up. <laughs> because Jacob and Isaac came right after oh come on somebody came right after Abraham hello somebody and then all the apostles came and even though Christ died he got up and the church is still holding it up still holding it up still holding it up Oh, the church became they are his arms, and the church became his legs, and the church became his feet. And even though he died and left, they're still holding it up. Go, go on, sit on down, sit on down. They died in faith. Can you die in faith? Can you die in hoping? Can you die in looking towards? Can you, can you die in believing? Or will you make this your home? Paul goes on to say that these people that said such things, that confessed such things, that it was evident that they did not belong here. 
and they moved like they didn't belong here. Even though it was promised to them, they just kept moving in the now, but not yet. And they never really settled in the idea that this is mine. But they said, it's not mine yet. It is mine, but not yet. It is mine, but so if it is yours, just settle in. I can't settle in because this is just the foundation. Come on, somebody. I'm waiting for the building. Oh, y'all don't want to. I can't live on no foundation. I need to move into a building. Come on, somebody. I'm not going to stay here. I got to keep moving because this is just the foundation. All the puzzle pieces are just around the edges. The picture has not been made plain yet, so I have to keep moving and not get too attached. And everything about what you're doing, everything about what you're seeking is a way for you to get more attached to this place. I need to get married so you can be attached here. I need to have a lot of money and get a bit so you can be attached here. I didn't have this and that and this and that. I didn't have my life to order, my credit score good, my this, that, and all. For what? Just so you could be more attached here. Because the people that lived in the now but not yet, I mean, it is, it's a yes, but not now, those people, they moved as sojourners. Never counting it robbery because they understood that it's not ready, but it will be. I'm not saying don't get your life together, but be careful about how much emphasis you put on that. Because if it looks like you're putting more emphasis on getting your life together in temporal stuff, and not the same, if not more effort in spiritual things, as your pastor, I'm gonna call you to the table. Now you can fake it with me but God will know really what's going on in you. All you got to do is show up to church and smile. And I'll be like, no, they, 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 they're seeking God equally. But he knows. He knows from that checkbook. He knows from that table. He knows from your private time, your personal time. Ask somebody else tell me. I said, why don't you do this to support me? They said, I mean, I would have, but, you know, I only, only do that stuff for me. Good to know. It's just for you. So when you have a separate life that you do for you, and then there's a life that you do for God, I'm going to bring you to the table on that. How do you have two separate things happening? Because I only know one thing, and that's we just keep moving for God. For God, 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 for God. The end of every statement and the beginning of every question about what I should do starts with God. Not me. Yeah, say amen on that one. I would do you a disservice if I didn't raise you that way. Because you have to give an answer to him about what you did with the life he gave you. Did you use it to serve you? Or did you use every minute that you could to serve God? Are you going to the gym for you? Are you going to the gym for the Father? Do you see how those are connected? Are you, going, are you giving of your tithes and offerings for you or are you giving of it for the Father? Is that job for you or is that job for God? Is that new hairstyle for you or is it for God? 
That's what you put on. Did you put that on for you or did you put that on for God? Every question starts and ends with that. Pastor, that's a bit much. Is it? Is it a bit much? Do you see how these people lived? And you think with all of this sin that has multiplied that you're going to make it with that type of weak faith. That you're going to be able to push back Satan as grand as he is marching forward with this little weak penny any, but I'm trying, I ain't really. Uh -huh. No, somebody needs to put some weight on your workout routine. Is this for God? Yeah, 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 it's for God. All right, we'll see. Because it's for God, then you won't quit. Hello, somebody. Mm-hmm. If it's for God, you might get to the point where you want to quit. But you won't. If it's for God and of God. Hello, somebody. If it's for God, then when he says that's enough, you're okay with it being enough. Well, I think God could have let me. I was talking to Glenda the other day. She said, I think God, uh, she said, I don't know, Pastor. I, wonder, I already did it, but I want to know what you thought. And I said, I don't know. It could be God. Could not. But you got to promise me, since you initiated this and not him, that if he says it's enough, you'll stop. Some trading stuff. I said, yeah. She said, yeah, I'll stop. I said, okay. So if it gets out of hand, or if it don't get out of hand, because she don't know how to define that, and God say it's enough, then what should it be? If it wasn't, if you can't do it when he says it's enough, then it was never about him. It was always about you. He's a rewarder of those that do what? Who? Seek who? Diligence seek who? Mm. So if this is not a tool and mechanism that drives you to seek him all the more, now, I don't know if you should be instituting that in your life. Hello? Mm -hmm. Amen. I'm preaching better than y'all acting today. We're almost done. These all died in faith. Whether you receive the promise now or later, will you live for him waiting, hoping, even to your last breath? Hello? And he says, those who say this kind of stuff, who say, I'm just a pilgrim, I'm just passing through. People that like me that say, well, you know what? That's God's business. Pastor, it's your house. They go, how's it going? I don't know. That's God's business. He started that thing. If he didn't, it's going to crumble. I don't, it's up to him. Nah, nah. You need, Pastor, you need to do something. You need to get on this. Mm, I'm doing whatever I think I should do. Whatever. He's going to have to do the rest. That's, I got other stuff to worry about. What you got to worry about? The church. Pastor, you need to worry about what you're going to eat, where you're going to live. I think he'll, he'll take care of that. He promised. Those are the basics that he promised me. Food and shelter. He promised me those basics without me having to ask. So one thing I don't have to worry about is food and shelter. Even when I'm in the grocery store and I ain't got no money. And Mama Jean or Jewel or any of you are with me. They'd be like, Pastor, I got that for you. Oh. By faith, I was going to stretch this $20 to <laughs> and see what next is going to come up. <laughs> Thank you so much. Food and shelter, I've never had to worry about. Oh, so you care how you live. What kind of house? I don't care about that. I mean, I do have preferences, but it's not a big deal. Make sense? 
who don't have preferences? Yeah, eh, no big deal. Not enough to put any real effort towards my preferences. Because not only do I have a God that provides my needs, I'm friends with the same God who gives me unmerited favor. So technically, I'm kind of best friends with a billionaire, plus some, and so I don't have any money, but he really spoils me, so I don't really worry about that. It'll work out. Hello? People that say these things know that this is not my home. I don't have to, I don't have fear of missing out of something great. Pastor, I'm afraid that if I obey what you're saying, that I might be missing out. Really? You're afraid that you could be missing out of, of heaven? No, of something good from this earth. <laughs> you think this earth has really good stuff? Oh my God, you haven't seen my home. Where's your home? In heaven. You, you, you're going to miss out on something here? I'm afraid if I, if I listen to you that I'll miss out on my relationship. <laughs> you think there's an earthly relationship that is of any good value here? You haven't seen the relationship with Christ that is waiting for me there. This sounds weird. And Paul begins to say, people that talk like they're sojourners here understood one thing. When they were thinking about home, they weren't thinking about where they came from. They were thinking about where they're going. When you think of home, you think of your best times. You know, I was happiest when I had this, when I lived over here, when I had that, when it was like this, when I had this. Hello? Oh, I'm preaching better, y'all acting. You're thinking of a time where something in that area of your life went well. That's your old home. I'm not talking of that. I'm talking of where I'm going. Every day. Pastor, are you excited about your house? No, not. I mean, yes and no. What I'm really more concerned about is my church. And it's overshadowing everything else. As it should. As it should. Am I excited about some four walls and some stucco and plaster? <laughs> I got the most precious things that the earth has ever seen that build nations, that forward the will of God, that keeps his arms lifted and his kingdom expanded in my hand. I've got bigger things to concern myself with than some four walls and some plaster. I have to tell myself this in the relationships when Dr. Smooth is not so smooth. Put that aside right now. You've got deeper things to worry about, more important things to worry about. I never say this to him, but in my own self, while well, he may say it to me, which is very rude, I never say it to him. But in myself, I have to recognize you can't let this emotional argument, this turmoil, deter you from doing what is most important and most valuable. That's eyes there, not here. Well, Pastor, he said if you let go of the church, he'd marry you. Mm. Even the marriage is temporary. You're not married there. So we just have, we'll just like, for the rest of my life be united? That sounds really good. You want me to dedicate all my time and attention to that? 
oh, no, I can't do that because I'm trying to go there. No, no, I, I'm really not my fullest here. I'm going to be my fullest there. This would be great, but you're not going to get all my attention on this. I'm not going to lose myself. I'm trying to preach to somebody here today. This does not define me. It is not the goal that somebody finally picked me. Oh, nobody wanted me. I don't have a person. I don't need a person. I have a God. Do you, do you hear me? I have a God, and he has me. A God. I'm in love with a God. The God. And you're over here squabbling over persons. How Sodom and Gomorrah of you. Over people who could be the one. Anyone that is your person is your slave. And you are theirs. You don't own anybody. And marriage doesn't mean you own each other. It's a choice to walk with, not be chained to. But anyway, I can get them. I'll get you, guilt you into being with me. Well, I've been with you all this time. To this day, it's the, it, we, neither one of us has said I do. <laughs> we still free agents. Not so much attention on the temporal, more attention on where your home is. People like that are thought of as weird. Peculiar, odd. And I wonder if Satan has beguiled the world and has so much of the world where he makes and pressures you to think that you are. He knows that if you succeed and cross over, he's done. He knows that you know the truth. He's hoping that you won't believe it fully. He knows that you know that your final place is there, not here, that you should not be building paneled houses while the church of God lies or the house of God lies in ruins. He knows that this stuff is temporary. He knows that you shouldn't be worried about this, but you should be thinking on things that are above, thinking on things that are high. He knows all of those things, and he watches you struggle with the same temporary roadblocks he put in your face like some cell phone that distracts you for hours or years of your life. That's why I don't like the social media broadcast. It's because I know how easy it is to be distracted. I put my phone in my bedroom the other day in preparation for the message. I can't tell you how many times I patted and looked for it for nothing but just a fiddle. And I realized, look at you. You're fiddling for your phone. You had just said two seconds ago, this is good. You need to keep reading that. And then two seconds later, you're fiddling looking for your phone. Two seconds later, you just said how good God was. You just said how you were so grateful he rescued you. You just said, I think I love this life. And two seconds later. Don't be shocked by me saying, come on, pick up your tent. Let's go. You need some exercise. You need to lift some weights. 
You're a little on the weak side. Hello? Those who say such things know that they have a home. Paul goes on to say, if they if they would have, if their old home would have came to mind, they would have went back there. Rather than wandering around with no home. I'm wandering around with no home. But they knew of a home. If it was their old home, they just would have turned back and went home to that one. Where life was easy. At least easier. You're picking a life that is harder. You are picking a life that is harder. Not easier. You're choosing to take up your cross and wander rather than your tent. To move with this weight on your back rather than sin. You're choosing the cross over sin. Either way, you're going to be weighed down with something. And you move with this cross. And if you want a home and you're so tired, the most end up going right back to where they was free from. And those of us that are just struggling, holding it up, why? Because I'm thinking of my new home. I'm thinking of where I'm going. I'm thinking what the not yes but not now will look like. Well, you going to do that? You're going gonna to waste your life. It's not going to be wasted. You know how many times, how many years my grandfather told me, when you going to get a real job? As if I'm wasting my life in ministry. Do you know what kind of muscle you have to have as a young adult to believe it's not going to be wasted? It's not going to be wasted. It's going to be for God. But you ain't got no money. You renting. You broke all the time. The same people talk about you. Same people did you wrong. This church did you wrong. That church did you wrong. This, and now you got your own church. They do you wrong in your own church. I mean, you just wasting your time. It's not going to be wasted. It's going to be for his glory. Ugh. May not be now. Ugh. It will come if I don't get weary in well-doing. I shall have if I don't faint. Y'all thought it was going to be something else. Hello, somebody. This home that they're speaking of. Christ tried to warn his disciples about the same thing in Matthew. Go to Matthew 26, and then we're out. In Matthew 26, and as they were eating, this is verse 26, Matthew 26, verse 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it, and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and he gave thanks. And he gave it to them saying, drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the new testament, 
which is shed for many for the remissions of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of this vine until the day when I drink it anew with you and my father's kingdom. Jesus is giving the disciples a glimpse of what's going to happen when they have their new home ceremony. When they have their home, what is that? Welcome home warming party, house warming party. You're going to come to the new kingdom and I'm not going to drink this. Look, 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 look how we're doing. I'm not really going to drink. Pastor, don't you, I mean, Jesus, don't you want to, don't you want to drink, drink with us today? And, and, and fe- nah, you don't even want to know, okay? You don't even want to know, okay? It's going to be so lit when you get there. Look, uh, 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 just watch, just watch. Y'all go ahead and drink this, okay? And then when, when it happens, that's what I'm going to celebrate. I'm going to celebrate full out when it happens. Just wait. I got some stuff I got to do. I got some things I got to handle. I got some stuff I got to get prepared. The foundation is laid. I got to go finish building this. But when, it's, well, when you come in, dog, dog. Dog, just know, okay? Just know. And then you could you do this every time, right? Every time y'all drink and y'all eat bread. I mean, y'all know, you know you be drinking and eating that bread. All right, every time y'all do that, just remember that I said I'm not gonna do it until y'all get there. Cause that's how lit it's gonna be. It's about to be on fire. So he sets a reminder that says you have a home. This world is gonna treat you like you don't have a home but you have a home, you have a kingdom. And it will feel like you're out here by yourself and no one really knows the truth and sees it, but you have a place and you have a home. Hello, somebody. He says, and I won't do it until the day that we do it anew in in my father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into into the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said unto them, and ye shall be offended You shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said unto him, though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet I will never be offended. Jesus said unto him, verily I say unto thee that this night before the cock crows, thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, though I should die with thee, yet I will not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples. The issue is Peter was ready to die with Christ. So Peter was ready to die with Jesus and all the other disciples. He was like, you're going to be offended because of me. And Peter was like, no, I'm not going to be offended because of you. Even if I am offended, okay, even if I am, I will die with you. What made this challenging is that Peter wasn't called to die with Christ. He wasn't called to be raptured. He was called to die separate from Christ which truly offended him. I much rather, knowing that you are God, that I will die with you and step into glory now with you. And Jesus says, no. It's a yes, you will be with me, but a not now. And so Peter, 
upon that rock, the entire church of God was built. It's a yes, dear church, but not now. And what makes us offended is that I have to live down here without you. Oh, y'all don't want to play fair. What offends me is I got to live all of this and you was up there in heaven and I'm down here and it is hard and it's a yes and a not now and I want but I can't have and I desire but it's not for me and I have to do this and it makes me so angry that sometimes I don't even want to know you anymore. Because you put me in such a hard place. You make me desire things that I can't have right now. And you said, you'll deny me three times, Peter. But you make me desire a wife, and then you tell me no. You make me desire to be free, and then you say not right now. You make me see how I'm supposed to be a blessing to the kingdom, and then, and then you don't use me to do it. And it's just, it's like I want it, and I can't stop wanting it. And then I can't have it, and I still want it. And I just, I just don't want to be a part of this anymore. Time number two, Peter. Why won't you just let me just come to where you are? Why do I have to deal with this? You see I'm messing up. You see I'm not getting it right. You see I can't get it. Can't you just see my heart and just end me from this torture? Can't you see I'm struggling? Can't you see it's too much? Can't you see it's too heavy? Why won't you just come and save me? Why won't you just rescue me already? Why you got me down here shaking and trembling? Why won't you just deliver me? Yes, but not now. Hold it. Hold it. Hold it. That's communion. Come on, as we prepare for communion today. We took it last week. We're taking it again today.